Hey, everybody. It's Michelle, and I am completely cup runneth over with joy because today I get to announce that Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders is 100% done and in publication, and you can check out your copy on Amazon. And the best part, if that book moves you, if it grows your evidence-based triangle to to engage in interprofessional practice, to do the root cause analysis to why the child is presenting with the PFD, to then engage with the team to get that child to a point of healing so that the real growth can begin, then y'all check out speechtherapypd.com because they are gracious enough to entertain all of these amazing, joyful ideas. And they're currently carrying the book for 13.5 ASHA CEUs. So (sighs) thank you for being a part of the first bite journey that led to chasing the swallow. And be sure to check out speechtherapypd.com for the 13.5 ASHA CEUs that accompany it. Happy learning. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guess lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. All right, everybody, we are back. I also kind of like the numerology behind today because it's like two 
2222. 22. Is, it, is it the 22nd? Yes, 2222222. And I just think that's really pretty. So, yay, we'll start out with a geek moment. Today's guest is none other than Megan Branham. And she is, first and foremost, a working mom, complete with Grinch PJs recording. And I'm in mismatched leggings. So, we're crushing this today. Yes. <laughs> yes. And two, possibly one of the largest advocate for children that I have ever been blessed to know. She wholeheartedly pours her muchness into the least of these. And I have witnessed her speak inspirationally to my graduate students, to colleagues. It is just absolutely profound, the wisdom that she has. So I am so grateful that you are here today, Megan. So hi. <laughs> hi. Thank you so much. This is the best way to spend the start of my day. Hands down is your energy. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on again. I am loving yes. this. Oh, yeah. She's a repeat, y'all, because like no, I kind of love her. <laughs> <laughs> we just but, go, we have all the conversations about all the things and hopefully people get a little nugget out of all of this. So it is so great to be back. Yes. And y'all, I have to preface our conversation today with some of possibly like the most humbling news. Like my hands are shaking. I've got like, I can feel the irregular heartbeat happening. I found out about 30 minutes ago that this little dream of first bite touching lives, that God has blessed this beyond anything I possibly could have ever hoped for and envisioned. First bite's been downloaded in over a hundred countries. Y'all are listening all across America, Canada, Mexico, Australia, Nepal, Kiev City, Ukraine, India, China, Zambia, countries. I didn't even know were countries because I don't really look at a map very often. So that was very interesting. But I am so grateful. Good God, mighty. So grateful. But also, let me preface this conversation with we're going to talk about local community resources for caregivers. And a lot of our local community <laughs> resources are based around South Carolina, USA. So please try to find, how would you say this, Megan? Like something similar in your neck of the woods? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I am just so floored. Like what an amazing reach you are having. And yes, I think, you know, at its core, you know, community engagement is, is the same everywhere. I mean, it's people connected, doing the work and the principles apply everywhere in some shape or form, certainly yes. with like modifications and changes to adapt to the communities you, you know, live in and love, but the same rules apply all over the world, all over the world. Yes. Yes. Okay. So talk me through, how did you, I mean, in case somebody hasn't heard your first episode, can you walk me through how did you like your schooling and how you became a child advocate? Absolutely. So it's been quite a journey. And, you know, I always tell, <laughs> I always tell students that I work with is like, if I had to guess when I was in, you know, undergrad or graduate school, what my career would look like now, I don't think I could have ever imagined it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is, it is not mm -hmm. in the best possible ways, but it is not sort of what I pictured it to be. But 
you know, it has been an amazing journey and you have to be open to it. Right. So I always tell Mm -hmm. the students that I work with is just be open to it, you know, follow where the journey leads you and it may be right for you now and something else may be right for you later. And so you just kind of continue to refine yourself and your work until you kind of hit that sweet spot and it will happen. It will happen at various points in your professional journey. But my journey started, you know, I'm a social worker at heart. I didn't know there was a word for it <laughs> until I got to school and I was like, oh, I really like this like sociology stuff. I am super into studying people and working on identifying ways to improve people's lives and health and all of this. And so it was really from me getting exposed to those conversations in undergrad led me to the University of South Carolina with the College of Social Work and really had a focus for me on working with communities and organizations. So my colleagues in social work that do the direct practice have my utmost respect. You know, they're the ones that are doing the case management, working directly with families or individuals. I just knew that wasn't my path. I knew that that was not in line with what I really felt to be true to myself. So I pursued a bigger, broader approach to the work and worked in teen pregnancy prevention programs, working with Uh, community organizations and schools on to really addressing perinatal health in the state of South Carolina, working on child abuse and neglect prevention work, and then sort of segueing from there into working with organizations in foster care and then bigger other groups that were working on you know, public health issues affecting the state. So I've had kind of dabbled in a little bit of everything. That's, you know, what I love, a new challenge, a new approach, but you know, fast forward, here I am like 15 or so odd years into this journey. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I know enough, but at the same time, gosh, there's still so much more I don't know and that I want to learn. So yeah, that's it. (laughs) You say 15 years plus and I'm like, ooh, and this is why I have the Botox. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I wear the under eye concealer. This is why. Oh man, I'm running low. This is why I don't sleep at night. These are the things, right? So um, we have lived it and seen it and experienced it. And oh my gosh, so fortunate to still be in the game. So yes, (laughs) yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. On that note, I highly recommend Pelt Makeup on Divine Street. If you too also are running out of a dry cream. (laughs) Yes. Love a plug. Love it. Oh, my oh man, that's funny. Oh, God. See, also, I've hit the age now that if I laugh that hard after having had pneumonia, <laughs> flu-related, folks, not COVID-related, there's a 50-50 chance I might pee. So, like, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Okay. So, oh, uh, and this is why you turn in from across the world to hear my bladder insufficiency. Okay. So, I'm going to go hey, back to the normalizing topic. it. We're just normalizing the human <laughs> experience, right? Like, we all can yes. relate. <laughs> Oh. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that's great. Okay. So I'm going to take it from the top from patient perspective. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So I get a script and it says speech therapy, eval, and treat. Fingers crossed it actually says to treat or eval the thing that it is that they want me to eval and treat because half the times it says, because parents says so. And I'm like, ooh, that is not going to apply for their private practice insurance. But 
I get the family and either I go to their homes or they come to the clinic. And when they come to the clinic, it's a little bit more skewed, right? Because when they're at the clinic, I can't see their natural environment. But case in point, little one comes in and they have thin clothes on, snot on their face, maybe not a warm winter jacket, but a blanket wrapped up. Mom's disheveled. Everything's got a good, healthy layer of grime on it. And I start talking about what are we eating? What formulas are you using? And maybe mom alludes to the fact that the formula is running low at the end of the month. And, you know, baby has failure to thrive. So I'm reading between the lines and wondering whether or not they have enough food in their home to feed this child. And as the speech pathologist here in the state, I do not act as the service coordinator that falls on the shoulders of either the service coordinator or the early interventionist. But I need to know what supports are available so that I can maybe talk to the parent in the moment if the moment arises or to circle back around to pediatricians because let's be honest, not all pediatricians know the community supports. So where do I go and how do I start that? Just simply getting the bare bone basics for hunger covered. Mm -hmm. My gosh, that scenario, I mean, it's so common and we could literally feel the entire podcast time just talking about that one family. Yes. You know, I think- What's important in this work is to, you know, we all come with our own frames and perspectives of what we think families should look like, kids, the way kids should act. And so we have our own perceptions and biases. bias of, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think, you know, I always say the work always has to start with ourselves first, right? We cannot do truly the work that is needed if we are not willing to do the work on ourselves first. So I think in order to, you know, start effectively, just acknowledging that, acknowledging that like, I'm going to look at this family and there's going to be things that I'm not going to be cool with because, you know, my perception or what I value is not reflected in this family. So Mm -hmm. I think you have to very quickly in those scenarios, right? Because this is happening in real time. You're not like, hold on, Mm -hmm. please, mom, let me just like adjust (laughs) my biases and then I will get right back to you. (laughs) But Uh you have to Uh quickly, Uh you know, pivot from that and start, start where people are. You have to seek to understand and you have to lead with love, right? And it's, it's so basic. It's so fundamental. It's so incredibly hard, especially with all the factors of honestly the world right now, burnout, fear, loss. You know, it's really hard to to settle yourself into a place as a practitioner and be able to approach a family that way. But I think the best thing that one can do and because it goes against, it goes against Michelle, I think everything we, our inclination is, which is to immediately fix it, to immediately provide a solution. You have to flip everything on its head. And again, seek to understand, start with the questions, start asking, you know, like you said, tell me a little bit about like, you know, what are your concerns today? You know, what's on your mind? What is it that you are, you know, concerned about or have questions about and, you know, 
getting them to respond and tell you in their own words kind of what the challenges are can really help you better identify a solution. And so this is where I think it's so critical for, you know, we've talked about it before, these are multidisciplinary teams and the supports of having someone who can come in, you can go to and say like, hey, you know, something's not quite right, sitting quite right with me on this family. Like, here's some things mom said, I asked her about this, this and this, but I'm really not sure where to go. And I can pass it off to you know, an organization that maybe it's a local food bank, or maybe it's a a local community organization that just works to provide supports, you know, housing, transportation, clothing, that sort of thing. Just be like, I'm not really sure where this fits, if this family would be eligible, but like something's there and then kind of let them hand it off to them to let them to like dig in a little bit further. So that is an incredibly long answer to your question. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's one of these things that we just have to like, we have to approach it with the right mindset for sure. Yes. Okay. So you, you hit on how you ask the question Mm -hmm. and that is key folks. There is family guided routines based interview model out of Florida. We've talked about it on prior episodes with Carrie Ebert, good God almighty, Carrie Ebert, the one and only as well as we sprinkled it in throughout. They have a website. It's like FGRBI, and they have models of how to ask these questions that you can download for free, and they're high quality and researched, right? Yes, yes. So if you have a tube-fed child and you're here in the continental United States, because I don't think yet that they're shipping internationally or to Alaska and Hawaii, and you have a family that's in critical needs, Dysphagia Outreach Project can put tube feeding and dysphagia supplies in their hands. So if they have PFD, dysphagia falls under the larger umbrella of pediatric feeding disorders. So remember, I mean, you can walk them through how to fill out the application online, or you can provide them the information, or just like Megan said, provide it to the person to help them. So whether that be pediatrician, nurse practitioner, maybe the family already has social work involved and you can give it to their social work case manager, right? Absolutely. So, and I think, you know, there's, I'm looking at this piece of paper on my wall because, you know, I'm the queen of post-it notes. I love a (laughs) post-it note and I have approximately 1000 of them around my office. (laughs) But they're my little reminders. They're my little like, you know, brain blurps. And I have one here that's, you know, it's, I wrote down stigma and shame. And I wholeheartedly in total transparency subscribe to the school of Brene Brown. And I've probably mentioned her before on your podcast. Yes. And And Glennon Doyle, another just phenomenal human being who is sort of normalizes all of this, but what my my thought was about the stigma and shame is that there's so much stigma attached to a lot of these issues that you laid out or the challenges with families, whether it be a diagnosis or, you know, struggling to put food on the table or lack of employment, right? There's stigma attached, whether it's self-imposed stigma, right? For someone that puts on themselves or that society puts on that person. And so by default, there's going to be shame associated with it. And so I think Mm -hmm. in order to sort of break through that, you know, leading with vulnerability, asking them the questions and like seeking to understand and not sort of add any more additional 
shame or blame to it, right? We're not trying to like point a finger and be like, why didn't you? Why didn't you get food? Or why, you know, I know that you got food stamps. Why did you not use your food stamps to purchase blah, blah, blah? You know, like we're not doing that. That helps literally no one. We want to understand where they're coming from so we can help them get where they need to be. And I think, again, it's hard in that real time, but I love, 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 love that there, the resources that you mentioned, like there are good examples you can sit through and read through and practice and process in your head Mm -hmm. so that when you're in those scenarios, it just gets easier to actually do. Yes. Okay. Wait, vulnerability, being vulnerable. (laughs) Maria from SLP Wine and Cheese always teases me not to engage in self-deprecating humor to have a positive narrative to myself because I am the queen of self-deprecation, right? (laughs) So Maria, just clog your ears and pretend I'm not talking right now. But there is a fine line between self-deprecation and vulnerability. Sure. That multisyllabic word I cannot say. But when I have a new patient that's going through the muck and the mire and struggling with, well, why can't my child do this? I open up and get raw and real about bear's walk. And I'm like, look, I'm a speech pathologist. Bear was in therapy for four and a half years. Like his favorite thing to say was fire trucks. And it came out as fire four-letter words. I can't say it because they would edit it. (laughs) And that was after three years of therapy to get there. But like, you know, that's key. But I meet them where they are. And you know what? I see the caregivers breathe a sigh because in some way – I've been similar to where they are. I will Mm. never be in their shoes, Mm -hmm. but like I can at least see it from the other side. Oh, so I love that. Yes. And it's so important. And again, I think, you know, it's not that you like are self disclosing like all of your family history, you know, like, and then, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then let me tell you what Bear did next, you know, but it's like, let me (laughs) just provide a connection point and you speak to. Like you said, you speak to the similarities that you have. You know, I was just having this conversation with a colleague the other day and I said, you know, I'm a mom. You know, I think what's unique about my experience is that my daughter was adopted and I, there's a lot that comes with that, you know, of being an open adoption, knowing some about her biological family, but not knowing everything, but knowing that there are certain challenges that arise with that and that aren't always identified right at birth that come about, Mm -hmm. you know, later in life and is trauma is, you know, dealing with attachment and grief and loss and all of those things that are so complex, but you know, that we're living with every single day, you know, we're dealing with it in some way, Mm -hmm. shape or form. And so just to kind of say like, Hey, nobody's got it figured out. Nobody really knows. Like nobody has it a perfect family and has everything great. Like there's always something that people are struggling with. And I think, like you said, it just sort of gives people a chance to breathe and be like, huh, okay. So I'm not the only one, you know? And I think too, like, I mean, you know, your families, if you are talking to that mom and mom is just like in a spot of like, just devastation, right? Of just like, my heart is broken for what's going on for my child and my family of being able to speak to her heart to heart. Because I think, you know, sometimes what happens is, you know, we can miss an opportunity or misread a situation and try to respond 
like head to heart. Do you know what I mean? Like we might respond to mom like about like, well, the data says, the research says, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's all the head stuff, right? That's like the technical. I've totally done that. (laughs) Oh, guilty is charged. Guilty is charged. I will launch into, well, the data and the research. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like read the Mm -hmm. room, Megan. This is not what this person needs in this moment. I'm like, woman, get out of your head. Read yes. the room. And I tell right. I tell that to Goose all yes. the time when he starts picking on Bear. I'm like, dude, read the room, Hello. man. <laughs> Just pick up on these clues we're putting down. Right. But like to take a second and be like, huh, you know, right now what I'm hearing is mom is like struggling with this emotionally. And so like, this is the reassurance that she needs. Or, you know, mom, and I say mom, but it could be dad grandparent, aunt, uncle, whoever, caregiver, you know, caregiver is really concerned about what treatment looks like. And they want to talk specifics about treatment, you know, like, okay, great. We can get into that space of the head to head conversation of like, here's what the treatment process looks like. Here's kind of what you can expect that sort of thing. But, you know, I think all of this is just building opportunities. It's creating opportunities to build trust. Right. And then it's like laying, I think about it because I love a visual image. I just think about it like a garden and a stepping stone. So like you are just laying one stepping stone at a time. You don't have to build the entire pathway all at once, but you're just putting down one piece of rock and then the next, and then the next until, you know, you get the family to where, you know, they need to be. So it's a process. Yes. It's a process. And we have to give ourselves grace in that process for sure. Yes. Yes. As I'm sitting here thinking of to-do list, must-do list, and grace for myself with so many things. Yeah. So okay. many things. Yep. So many things. Yes. So I have to go to a place that's still hard for me to go to. Folks, if you've never heard my walk before, I am a domestic abuse survivor from my ex-husband who never hit me until we were married and then routinely beat the hell out of me after that. And I am alive because I took the bullets out of a gun one night or I wouldn't be here. And that is a story that my children do not know, but one day we will have that conversation. And I mean, we're talking like it's a decade plus, like 12, 13 years later. But if I think about it hard, you're right back in the moment. So Super vulnerable moment. Absolutely. But I say that because because of the walk that I walked, I am acutely tuned in to those signs and symptoms in my caregivers and in my patients. Probably like hypersensitive to, well, obviously hypersensitive to it, but I mean, it is what it is. So as a licensed professional, Y'all that are listening, as a licensed professional, as a student clinician who is working under a licensed professional, we are mandatory reporters. And that is also a hard walk. And remember, social workers are not going to bust down the doors and remove a kid from the home unless it is Correct me if I'm wrong, Megan. Absolutely. The last resort isn't our goal to keep the families together and see them healthy and growing and nourished, right? But at the same time, if there is chaos, hurt, anger, and danger in a home from whatever, pick your poison, pick your son, that is not a place 
in that moment where a caregiver, if you think about it from the Maslow scale of hierarchy, they are able to educate, inspire, and uplift the little one that is in their lives because they are struggling for basic needs. So when you are a mandatory reporter, but who do you report to? On my side, I mean, yes, we do have to reach out to social services. We have to reach out to the pediatrician. But first and foremost, are you in a position where you can have a crucial conversation with the caregiver? And then you do need to work the chain of command with even your own place of employment, right? Talk to your supervisor, talk to the director of rehab, talk to whomever you know you report to. And if it's a dangerous situation, you do have to extricate yourself in order. Is that the right word? Ex- yeah. Extricate, mm-hmm. extrapolate, pull yourself out of the Get sticky wiki. Out of there, yes. And then go. But what if it's a situation where, and this is how I felt the individual can't safely get out, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. or they have no other place to go to. So Megan, you've provided a ton of resources in our States for situations like this, but folks, I mean, when she's going through this list of resources and plugging all these spots of healing, remember that there are places similar to this where you are. All right. So Megan, I'm gonna hand it to you. Can you like tell us some signs and symptoms that are red flags and then give us some resources? Would that be okay? Yes. Thinking about resources. And thank you so much for sharing that story because that is, again, talking about vulnerability and being able to share that and recognize that that's, you know, that's your experience. That's where you come from and you use it to really serve your patients and your clients. I mean, that's, that's amazing. So thank you for that. Absolutely. You know, I think when, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, gosh, you're right. Like you're just kind of right back in it. And then, you know, you think about these are, there are so many families that are living this right now at this exact moment, probably just houses down. Right. So, you know, recognizing that. So, you know, a couple things, I think, like you said, safety is always paramount, you know, and recognizing situations where it's like, yeah, you know, probably is not the best space for me to be. So I'm going to need to either, you know, definitely not go by myself definitely pull in another colleague. And again, about the shame, not feeling shameful, like I can't fix this, right? So like, not your job, not your role to fix everything. Just know that like- (laughs) Wait, say that again for all of the fixers (laughs) in the room. It is not your role to fix everything. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, we cannot fix all the things. Try as we might, as much as we would like to, we cannot fix all the things. So just like fix what's right or identify what's right Mm -hmm. in front of you and then figure out who you really need to pull in to address the Mm -hmm. situation. So yes, being a mandatory reporter, you know, reporting to social services, involving law enforcement when appropriate, certainly those are the systems that exist to protect vulnerable populations. Now, every situation, every system, right? Not perfect, but these are the systems in which we're operating and we have to, you know, use them as best we can to make sure we're all safe and taken care of. So with that being said, you know, I think it's helpful to know what else is out there in terms of support for families or for children. You know, I immediately go to, in South Carolina, we have a really strong, robust network of child advocacy centers 
which provide a lot of support and, you know, cover a lot of services, everything from forensic interviewing, where, you know, a child is brought in who's experienced some type of trauma. There's a trained professional that can sit down with them and, again, ask the right questions and sort of get some information from them in order to help identify, you know, what services they need and if there's any sort of, you know, other steps that need to be taken to make sure that that child is safe. So, you know, providing therapy to a child or to a family member, you know, a lot of times our child advocacy centers work very close with our domestic violence shelters or domestic violence organizations, right? Because they often go hand in hand. And so, you know, they are there as well. And again, knowing that there are individuals who are trained, you know, very specific, like to address a very specific challenge or issue to me provides a lot of reassurance because again, it's like, we don't have to know everything. We don't have to fix everything. Mm -hmm. But if we know that like, Hey, there's a child advocacy center right down the street from me, or, you know, this organization, I can connect and, you know, a caregiver with, and then they can take it from there. I think it's really important to know just what's in your surrounding area so that you kind of, and build relationships, right? Like so basic, just build relationships, just like ask like, Hey, what is it that y'all do? Here's like a little bit of what I do. What are ways we can work together? We're obviously serving the same population, chances are. So how can we work together to better serve them? My favorite sister care. Oh, I'm a thousand percent biased. I love sister care. We like, yeah, sister care is the one that I go to. Yeah. And they've done amazing things, including even getting a patient out of the state. Wow. Wow. Right. I know. And I feel the same. Like there's so many organizations where I just have such an affinity for, because like you said, like you've seen the work that they've done. Like you have to get to know, you know, in your network, in your community, build those relationships. And, you know, I always, the advocate in me also cannot, like, I can't miss the opportunity to really emphasize the importance of building relationships with elected officials at a state level, at a local level, Mm -hmm. because I think, you know, Michelle, a lot of times we see the gaps in services, right? We're like, hello, why is this treatment not covered under insurance? Or why do we not have, you know, fill in the blank (laughs) available to give to Mm -hmm. our Mm -hmm. clients? And so I think understanding too, that elected officials are obviously part of the community. They live in the community. They know the community. Their intent for running for office most of the time, I would assume. Theoretically. <laughs> In theory. Right. We'll talk <laughs> you know, most mm-hmm. most people mm-hmm. are doing it for that reason is to serve their community. And so, you know, I think one thing to keep in mind is again, building relationships with those individuals to say, look, like we've got a huge gap in services here, right? Like we're seeing families that we can't provide a service for. I mean, it's just, it's dire. And I think bringing the issues to them with or without a solution, you may have a solution, but I think the awareness first and foremost is the most important piece because I always tell, you know, organizations that we work with that, you know, I think often feel very siloed because they're like, we are the only group that is experiencing this, you know, like we are the only organization or group of providers that is experiencing this. 
And they're like, we don't want to say anything or we think it's unique to us. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Take it to the next level. Go to your, oftentimes it's your state representative or state senator and tell them, I said, because I would guarantee you, this is not going to be the first time they've heard about it. Someone else has mentioned this to them and now they hear from somebody else and now they hear from somebody else and now it's piqued their interest, right? Tipping point. Exactly. Now it's enough to be like, oh, this is something I, I need to look into. So I just always, you know, caution people away from thinking about it that way because, you know, that's where things get stuck and nothing moves. If you're just kind of like, well, you know, that's just, it's just us, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the only one or we're the only ones, you know, no, that's not the case at all. And you have to sort of engage in those relationships and conversations in order to like really elicit any type of change. So I have to mention that because I think it's so important to just have those relationships, put stuff on their radar, be like, hey, you know, this is kind of what's happening now. I want to figure out how we address this, how we work together to solve this problem. Okay. So many thoughts. One, folks, this is why you have a state speech pathology association Mm -hmm. embedded within that you should have on your board, a VP of governmental affairs. And I will say it again. Let me get on my soapbox. Also, I like may or may not have like physically moved my body in my chair. ASHA does not advocate at the state level. They cannot because they have to register a lobbyist and the lobbyist can be registered at the federal level. So they can address federal issues. They can give guidance behind the scenes for consultative purposes at the state level. So if there's an issue unique in your state, it's you, dude. It's you. So if you're going to gripe about an issue with one breath, let's all be uncomfortable together for a second. Then with your next breath, you send an email. Please do them politely. Maybe (laughs) maybe review them a couple of times like yours truly has to do before she hits send and, you know. And or like put the coffee cup down so that like it's not as many exclamation points as in the first email draft, but send the email or text message or phone call to that liaison, that person on your state association board. Also, most states have something called a disability board, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Here in South Carolina, it's a South Carolina board for disabilities and special needs that covers addressing unique individuals' needs across the life continuum, right? And they're made up by members theoretically from across the state in different walks. Normally there's like a lay person. Normally there's a couple of professional people. There should be a caregiver. If there's not a caregiver, then we need to work to fix that. But those people make up that board. And you know what? Here, excuse me, in South Carolina, that board liaisons with our governor, right? And take the politics aside because trust me, I have to take a couple big deep breaths to walk away there for a second, but take the politics aside, put yourself on that board. Right. Advocate. Oh, yes. Right. And so like, that's a personal goal of mine. Also, I'm kind of thinking I want to go back and get a master's in public health because I kind of may or may not want to take over and like work my way into being the director of the state early intervention system. And I'm just going to manifest that because that's what Aaron says, the word that I'm looking for. Yes. They don't know me, but like, I'm so angry all the time at our state EI system. And I'm like, I'm going to fix this. So yeah, yeah, right. Whatever yeah. motivates you, right? Like use it, yes. use the fuel for the fire. Oh, yes. take my anger, make it good. <laughs> but like, so like, it's oh, fine. It's I am fine. a totally normal individual. <laughs> but like, with that, 
I really think that put yourself on those boards, make those opportunities for yourself to change these things. Okay. Those were a couple of thoughts. Can I like list off some of the specifics and then you can talk about like their roles and how they can help our caregivers? Oh, sure. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So charlestonhalos.org, literally never heard of them. What is that? Really? Okay. Near and dear to my heart. So Halos is an organization that works with kinship caregivers. So these are grandparents, aunts, uncles, family, friends that have taken in a child or children because mom and dad or primary caregiver are not able to. Sometimes they're involved in the foster care system. So kiddo goes to live with grandma instead of going into a foster family or dad's in treatment. And so aunt takes in the kiddos while dad's in treatment. So they're acting as their primary caregiver. And there are, I tell people all the time, like kinship care is not new, right? Like tale as old as time. We look out for our family. We probably all, if we think back on our own like family of origin, there are stories or people, you didn't really maybe think of it at the time, but you're just like, huh, you know, so-and-so lived with grandma. And I never really thought about that, but that was kinship care. And so Halos is an amazing organization that I mean, honestly, in the last 10 years in South Carolina has really elevated the needs of caregivers of like caregivers need a lot of support, right? So you can imagine just the emotional (laughs) challenges that come with like, let's say I'm grandma and my son's recovering from substance use and I'm dealing with that while I'm dealing with caring for his son, right? So like- And in my head, I'm like, was probably discharged from the NICU and has neonatal abstinence syndrome. And now maybe they had a stroke and like we have all these things. And so- And I'm like 60 years old and I haven't like raised a baby, (laughs) you know, in like 30 years. And I don't know what's, and now I'm dealing with like a very medically complex child and I don't know what, you know, what Mm -hmm. to do. So it's stuff like that where it's, you know, making sure caregivers are equipped with the resources and supports they need, whatever their situation may be. And the one thing I have to say that I love about Halos and what they're building is they're really building a navigation system. So they're like walking alongside the caregivers, you know, and touching base with them because I mean, oh my gosh, Michelle, you know, like what you needed as a, as a mom of a one week old, totally different than what you needed as a mom of a four month old. I have to interject with one very comedic, amazing point. My husband has a bougie booty. Okay. And I promise this is connected. He has a bougie booty. And so like I blame the army. And so now courtesy of some residuals from the army, he wanted up a day, right? Like apparently like they get lower back pain and hemorrhoids and it's like a thing from carrying rucksacks, whatever. Okay. But we got up a day. All right. Tell me more. Yes. Okay. I now know that every new mom wants a bidet, oh. a heated seat, bougie booty bidet. So <laughs> I know we're yes. talking about something very serious, oh. but put that on the top of your wish list. <laughs> put that on the registry, on the baby registry, right? Like baby yes. bottles and blankets are great, but like mama needs a bidet, okay? <laughs> yes. So like... That's high maintenance. And I have, trust me, I have torn the Mickey out of him for having a bougie booty. And then he goes, baby, would you just try it? I will never go back. I will never go back. You're converted. You're a fan for life. No, but that's so true. And like, I think about like, unless you'd had that experience, 
right? Like you wouldn't even know that was a thing, but to be able to be like, okay, I can walk alongside you, right? Because I've been there and I can be like, dude, let me tell you what you really need. (laughs) That (laughs) life-changing, completely (laughs) life-changing. Yes. Okay. Sorry. It was a very heavy moment. And all in my head, all I could see was the little warming seat with the scorchy booty thing. And I was like, (laughs) sorry. I love it so much. Yes. Okay. So back to (laughs) charlestonhalos.org. And they're going to receive a shipment of bidets from somebody. Like, what is this? What happened? (laughs) So yes, there's organizations like Halos, like, you know, that are in South Carolina, at least that are sort of building kindred hearts in Columbia, Pendleton Place, in Greenville. There's these other amazing organizations that have kinship caregivers front of mind and are working to serve them. So I feel like sometimes they're, they seem like a little bit of a lost population, right? But at least in South Carolina, I mean, there's estimates of like 60 some thousand kids that live in some type of kinship care. So chances are, you know, the families that you're working with, it's probably a kinship care, you know, situation yes. and it comes with its own set of unique challenges. And so just knowing like Halos is an amazing organization to reach out to. And we can definitely put this in the show notes, but there is now a website SC Kinship, and there is a toll-free number that you can call and just say like, hey, I don't know what services are available or what to do, but I'm working with this caregiver and can you help me? So kinshipsc.org is a great place to start too. All of the show notes, folks, are available on speechtherapypd.com. They automatically translate. Sometimes the translations are delightful given my Southern Mountain dialect, but they translate and then edit the show notes. I can only imagine. Y'all sometimes comes out a very distinct spelling in the show notes. So like, <laughs> you've been warned. No. So like, we're fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Okay. What is a Courage Center? SC.org. Yes. So Courage Center recovery-based organization in the Midlands in Lexington here in South Carolina. They work with youth and families who are in recovery from substance misuse. So had an amazing, amazing moment the other day meeting with this group. And Michelle, like, you know, the, you know, those meetings where you're like, you can just feel the synergy in the room. Like you can just feel yes all the connection and all the power and it's just coming together. Oh my gosh. So we had one of those meetings the other day and it was really talking about what different organizations and, you know, community groups can do to support families um, or youth in recovery. And a lot of it's about decreasing the stigma, right? So it's like removing the shame and blame and being like, you know what? We need to talk about substance use like we talk about any other like health condition. Like you have a hard time or challenging like getting your diabetes under control or your hypertension. We're going to create a treatment plan just like we're going to do, you know, if you're struggling with alcohol or drugs. So highly, highly recommend them enough. Again, one thing I love about both Halos and the Courage Center is that there's a huge component of being peer led. So it's peers to peers. Nice. It's someone else who's like, has a lived experience and then the training to be like, look, like we said, I've been there. I've been that new mama. Let me tell you, you need the bidet, honey. You need, (laughs) I cannot stop laughing about this. We are professionals. We are professionals. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Originally, Goose was 15 st- stitches and he was vaginal, but like oh, the yes. story has morphed. And so now I ri- remind him, I'm like, you cost me 25 stitches, dude. And like, he has no idea what I'm talking about. But like, by the time yeah. he has kids, it's going to be like 42 or something like that. But like, there was the day. Oh, That's yes. going to be fun show notes. <laughs> it's going to be great. So, yeah, it's <laughs> again, it's all about the connection, right? And so, like, if you can connect people with the same lived or similar lived experiences, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, what a great place to start to start from. So yeah, there's a lot of cool things happening at, at the Courage Center. So go check them out. And again, a phenomenal resource. Now this one, this is how you and I kind of met professionally for the first time through the next one. Okay. So Megan and I originally met because we were we were baby mamas together at the church daycare. Yes. Y'all, I have met so many amazing people from that church daycare. Before. I'm telling you, amazing. <laughs> right? Like yes. that, that was a center for healing in and of itself. Yes, so much. Also, thank God for Miss Roberta and Miss Alberta. Like they met me when I was having my worst mom anxiety, like postpartum, and they loved me through my postpartum anxiety two times. So God oh bless this woman. But we met at what is the fall conference? It's through familyconnectionssc.org. And they have a October conference for Down syndrome awareness. Was it what hopes it for dreams? The, yeah, hopes and dreams. It would have been that. Yes, hopes and dreams. Yes. yes, it was hopes and dreams. And so there we are. And I'm like the SLP in the board, or like the volunteer committee, whatever the technical piece was. That was a lifetime ago, by the way. Was, and yeah. you were, I guess, acting as a, a family advocate and social yeah. worker on the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was facilitating your session or something. I think is how we ended yes. up connecting there. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And oh, that was a lifetime ago. And that's how we first met professionally, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, right. I know, know your you. baby girl. And yes. yes. And it was just like the wildest thing, but like minded hearts. Yes. And so sure. here in South Carolina, we have something called Family Connections SC.org. Hint, hint, hint. So, Family Connections. So, can you talk to us about what that organization looks like and what? you have witnessed them do? And then I can throw in my like clinician eyes. Yes, definitely. So Family Connection, statewide organization in South Carolina, working with children and families who need one-on-one support because their children are living with some type of um, disability. They may need access to healthcare. They may need, you know, gosh, just navigating the educational system and like, what is an IEP and why do I need that for my kid? (laughs) And like, what does that actually mean? And, oh, I can go to an IEP meeting and tell them about like, you know, like what, what my child needs and be a Mm self-advocate and an advocate for my child. So I have the utmost respect for family connection. And I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, I did a, a project for them in graduate school, like back in the early 2000s, which sounds so insane to say, but they, and it was around, <laughs> isn't that wild? It was around like Medicaid expansion and making sure like children were covered and had access to services. And so they are, oh my gosh. I mean, everything from like, you have like a TEFRA application, you know, like you need to fill out a, like literally a hundred page document to get your kid like coverage. Mm-hmm 
Tefra is South Carolina Medicaid that is based upon a disability and yes. not parental income. Yeah. So states have different names for that entity, but if you have a child that will need lifelong care, but say you make just above the working middle class, the working poor, or I mean, even those that have higher income that, I mean, if they need it, they need it. And that's Tefra, yeah. but it is a beast to fill out. Yes. Continue. Sorry. Yes. No, like have witnessed it firsthand for a good friend mm-hmm. of mine. And, you know, she called up family connection and was and like, there's a person, there's an actual person to help you like walk you through that, right? Because like, you know, parents have enough going on and a little bit of help mm-hmm. really goes a long way. So they really mm-hmm. are kind of like the one stop. I mean, they really are kind of the one stop shop. I mean, they're raising yes. awareness, they're helping to make sure kids reach their full potential, whatever that looks like for that child and their family. And they're doing yes. it all in a lot of different amazing ways. Yes. So family connections is you need to look for that in your state or the variation of that. And look for the organization that isn't afraid to straight up challenge an IEP or an IFSP. Because I have seen them go in and send advocates when a school district tells a family, you can't have that. We don't do that. But you know what? They kind of do because it's a federal law. (laughs) I'm like, "Eh, but you know... Yeah, there's some equivalent seeming, you know, everywhere, but there's some version of this state, you know, based organization that's parent support for children, yes. you know, with yes. some type of disability. So, okay. So then I got another one. Okay. Beginnings South Carolina. Yeah. Beginningssc.org. Yes. <laughs> another one. <laughs> yes. So another organization working with kids and families, but really focused around kids who are deaf or hard of hearing or have some type mm-hmm. of maybe unidentified hearing loss that they're working on um, identifying. And again, goes back to like, let's identify it so that then we can get services for it. Right. And so they are a phenomenal resource that is really serving a very, you know, a very specific population, not that, you know, every population has their sets of like challenges and needs and strengths and they, they just do it so well. So beginnings is really my go-to and I have learned so, I mean, all of these organizations, I've learned so much, like with beginnings, just the language of, you know, how we talk about hearing loss and, and, and even with the Courage Center, the language, that we, the language that we use around recovery. And so there's, they have so much to, to teach us professionals that, you know, again, are working with, you know, a community that has very specific needs and can be like a voice for that community and can help elevate their, you know, elevate their voices. So yeah, Beginnings SC, another phenomenal South Carolina resource. Yeah. And based off of an organization in North Carolina. So very similar. Again, probably some type of similar organization wherever you are. So this is my mom moment. Bear passed his initial newborn hearing screen and then proceeded to need a helmet because we had labor shop 14 times and his head was all crooked and then his ears were all crooked and then he didn't pass another hearing test until like several years later. And I have worked early intervention since the moment we stepped foot in South Carolina. 
and was told I had to select early intervention with one entity because he had failed his newborn hearing screens. And it was a state organization. I was not given another alternative. Had I not known my rights, had I not been a clinician, I would have been forced into one organization. Yeah. And while it's an all right organization, I knew that there was some, at that time, areas of need, yeah. of improvement right. needed. And this was kind of before beginnings. South Carolina came to play. And it's my understanding that it was, correct me if I'm wrong, y'all, but they will be on in a couple of weeks. Also, Megan, thank you for the introduction. Huzzah. Yes. They were a entity from a labor of love and frustration for individuals that needed a voice to be heard from a, I'm an individual with hearing loss first because diversity and inclusion and having a voice matters. Yes. And so I am so grateful that they are here because their presence is challenging status quo and making our state better. And I'm sorry that I missed that window seven years ago. Grateful for where we are now. He's bears personally fully hearing unless he doesn't want to be hearing. And that's because he's sometimes bad. (laughs) Good choice, bad choice. Do his own thing, right? He's gonna be bear, (laughs) (laughs) and he gets that from his father, not from his mother. Obviously, (laughs) obviously, obviously. But Uh. oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Your listeners have got to tune in to the beginnings episode when we come on because Kara and Mary, their story. I love the story of how it started. But you're right; it started from like shared frustration over like what they were yes. seeing in the school district. And, you know, in Bear's case, like you said, like there was services available, maybe not the best, but, you know, now we're realizing yeah. that like more services and organizations like Beginnings are filling a gap because, you know, families mm-hmm. are, you know, maybe kiddos screened passes their newborn screening, like with flying colors, but then like goes mm-hmm. to kindergarten and like, hmm, Something's not right. Like they're having a hard time paying. A hundred ear infections later. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. And then you're like, huh, okay. So we're actually like experiencing some, what they call like late onset hearing loss. And mm-hmm. this is why we're having a hard time, like paying attention, following instructions. Like it's not just like typical adjustment to like kindergarten, but like clearly there's something else going on here. And now this sets us on a different path. And so, you know, organizations like Beginnings, and, you know, Family Connection and all the ones that we've mentioned are there to be like, okay, you're on this journey now. So like, let's go there with you because we've been there and we know kind of what's ahead for you. So yeah, doing amazing work. So we're already over our time because wow, you would have do that. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> we like to talk and we are passionate. Yes. <laughs> So stay tuned, folks. And then Megan will come back in the fall, fall of 2022. We'll have to come up with like another cool number to like come back. Oh, I love that. Okay. I, her other episode, please turn, tune into it. It's episode 158, Childhood ACEs and the SLP. And Megan, ACEs stand for Adverse Childhood Events, right? Experiences. Close. Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it's- Experiences. Yeah. It's the trauma, all the things that happen, you know, prior to 18 that really shape us and mold us and impact us through adulthood. 
Megan, thank you for coming back. Thank you. I greatly appreciate you. Thank you so much. Folks, don't forget we love it when you head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a review or follow us on firstbitepodcast. I don't know what it is on Instagram. Aaron does these things. It's at First Bite Podcast on Instagram and our Facebook page. If there's a speaker that you want to hear from or a topic you want to learn more about, please message us. I know there's like a cool way of saying that. But I don't remember the cool way to say that. So like, <laughs> just send me a message because that's how I know how to reach people. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your time with us all around the globe and know that we literally pour our heart and souls into this. So I am grateful for y'all. And I am grateful for you and for your listeners and honestly, the work that, oh my gosh, the necessary but difficult work that y'all are doing every day. It's a lot, but it is necessary. And I I feel like I have to close with, again, sticky note on my desk here. I am really loving learning about Reiki and Reiki principles. And maybe that's another... Maybe that we get like really into it next, (laughs) but like energy transfer and how we like heal and connect. But I feel like this is a good close for today. There's five principles just for today. So taking a deep breath, everything that we've like heard and learned and shared today, but just for today, do not be angry. Do not worry. Be filled with gratitude. Devote yourself to your work and be kind to people. And I leave you Mm. with that. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, bloody hell. I love you. Okay. Thank you. you. Thanks. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember... Feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep 
Monday through Monday actually as well. Here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye.